0: Hi, everyone. I'm Meg LaFauve.
1: And I'm Lorian McKenna. And welcome back to the show. Today,
0: we are chatting with Turning Red writers Julia Cho and Domi Shi. And Domi also directed the film.
1: So Domi began as a story intern at Pixar Animation Studios in June of 2011 and was soon hired as a story artist and the Academy Award winning feature film Inside Out. In 2015, she began pitching ideas for short films and was greenlit to write and direct Bao, which won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. She most recently made her feature film directorial debut on Turning Red, which was also Oscar nominated.
0: Her Turning Red co-writer, Julia, began her career in the New York theater world, writing a number of celebrated plays which scored her the Wyndham Campbell Literary Prize in 2020, celebrating her body of work. Her work as a playwright earned her spots in a number of prestigious writers' rooms, including *Big Love*, *Halt and Catch Fire*, and *Paper Girls*, which she co-executive produced. So, welcome, welcome, Domi and Julia. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. So good to be here. Yeah. So let's, I, because there's two of you, and this is uh, a podcast. Let's.
2: Uh, can you guys introduce yourself so people know whose voice is which? I'm Julia Cho. I don't know if my voice sounds that different from Domi's, but maybe she can throw in some Canadianisms. That way you'll know <laughs> which one is which, because I, I, I am not from Canada. I'm the non-Canadian one.
3: I'm Domi She eh? a. I'm just going to end all my sentences. With that'll A. do it. Perfect. Okay, that'll work. <laughs> I'm, I'm the Canadian one. <laughs> that'll work. Uh, these guys
0: have been good sports and are willing to uh, start where we start, which is talking about our weeks or what we call adventures in screenwriting. We'll let Lorian go first. And uh, Lorian, how was your
1: week? My week was good. Um, I got notes back on a project, so I'm going to do those and deliver those on Friday. I'm waiting for my daughter's passport to get renewed, to come back from the State Department so we can leave for Paris next Friday. So that's a fun gamble I'm playing. Um, But here's a funny story. Uh, So as a TV writer... Uh, you have to meet with studio execs and uh, pitch your ideas to see if you get chosen. So you're like auditioning every time you go in front of an executive. Here's my idea. So yesterday I had a meeting with a studio exec that was like, hi, how are you? Maybe we can work on this project. But I'd already come up with an idea or two. So I said, hey, I have this idea. And she's like, I love it. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. Contracts in the mail. Here we go. And she's like, I really love it. In fact, we're halfway through production on that exact same idea right now. And I was like, Yay! Yay! Perfect. So, happens yeah. all the time. But she said uh, that just means we're on the same wavelength. So she was encouraged. I was discouraged and encouraged. And then uh, I went home last night and sent her a couple more ideas. So hopefully one of those sparks. But it was it just happens. Like so, the idea that like people are stealing your ideas or you've come up with something so unique and special. It's like no, it's in the execution and timing. So much of it is timing. So um, yeah. So that was my that was my story from yesterday. And then I'm gonna work on my notes for the rest of the week on this other project and wait for that passport to arrive in the mail. Any day it's coming.
0: <laughs>
1: awesome. Domi, how
3: was your week? Um, it was good. Yeah. Uh so I'm back in development at Pixar and I'm working with um Sarah Stryker again. Uh we've worked we work together on um on Turning Red. Uh before uh, I partnered up with Julia, and uh, we're working together again on this new idea. And yeah, awesome. we just finished carding the movie and carding's really hard, but mm-hmm. very helpful and very necessary to do. Um, but then we kind of got like a little bit, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's great. It's great. Like it, it just took a while just to get everything up there, but it, it, it feels good. And um, we got high off of the Sharpie fumes and we feel good. I can't tell if it's because of the, sh- the Sharpie films, <laughs> it's actually a good story. But yeah, I mean, I feel like once you hit like a meaty relationship in your idea, like that's when you're like, yeah, this is great. Or like when you're, yeah, like when you're kind of like working out the story and you're like, yeah, like, like people would want to write fan fiction about this. Like that's kind of,
1: when, I know, love it. You, you that's such gold. a good base. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Ask yourself, do I want to write fan fiction about this, which is what a TV show is kind of, right? Do I want to keep writing episodes about them? (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Media relationship. Absolutely. So important. So like core of everything
2: we do. Julia, how about you? How was your week? So yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to answer this question. And this is actually perfect that I'm talking to a bunch of writers because I was writing because I'm on a deadline and I feel like the writing was going fine. Um, and the writing I don't struggle with as much, but that feeling of being deadline, mm-hmm. <laughs> of being on a deadline, I just realized like I have spent my entire life, including my childhood, on a deadline, right? Cause it's like you go through school where you have deadlines that your teacher set, and then this thing happens where you internalize your teacher and then you become a writer, and then you're like setting your own deadlines. And um, I guess. You know, I spent my days, uh, especially the last two days, doing a lot of writing and um, just thinking about how uh, I I like writing a lot. You know, I still do even after all this time. Um, but I like deadlines less and less. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that feeling like uh, this kind of like pressure always on the back of my head, like there's something I need to be doing, and uh, and I'm just like, gosh, this is i uh, I'm going to have to learn how to make friends with my inner deadline setter, you mm. know, because I don't see how to be a writer without setting deadlines, yeah. they kind of go hand in hand, you know, and I'm just thinking, like, do I want to spend the rest of my life <laughs> being on a deadline? Is, is that what I signed up for? <laughs> oh, my God, you know, um, but uh, yeah, so I find like the writing itself, you know, again, I, I still oddly enjoy even after all this time, but um, the things around it, I still find myself struggling with. Do you so-
0: find ever, because I find sometimes, sometimes the deadline helps in terms of I don't have time to get in my own way. I don't have time to doubt and worry and wonder and and just swirl around. I just have to p- take, put, there's kind of a purity to the intensity, but do you, it also can do the opposite, right? Where you're not really getting time to find nuance or subtlety or discover things. So what
2: where, where how, how does the deadline work for you in the writing? Um you know i think the deadlines can yeah you're right be very motivating i mean i remember actually deadlines also being um very bonding like domi and i remember domi there were days where (laughs) oh yeah like like the process even though it takes so long to make a movie you're kind of it's so hard to explain but you're going at a breakneck speed the whole time and after every screening you basically have as little time as humanly possible to turn around all the changes and yeah, it's um, like
3: under a week, like a yeah. couple days yeah. to like rewrite and figure out yeah. the new shape of the movie.
2: Everything, everything. Yeah. And um, and you know, and don't mean I, I feel like we loved our producer and we loved our production crew. But yeah. in those times <laughs> like setting the deadline where where we were just like, we want as much time as possible. They and the studio needed as little time as possible. It felt like um, those are the cl- those are the only times that there was a little bit of like why are you trying to hurt us?
0: (laughs) I know those are the times that you're like, is this humanly possible? Is it even possible to type it? Let alone come up with it.
2: Yeah. And so I, but again, I think the deadline of it all was kind of bonding for us. Cause I just remember Domi, you would really go up to bat for us. And and for me, like she would, I remember there are literally times where she was like, you have to give julia more time she cannot do this it is, oh. she will fry her little brain <laughs> oh. was, and I, in those moments i feel like she's protecting me um so but i do think the deadline of it yeah sometimes it can be painful sometimes it can be motivating you know with i, I feel like i do need deadlines yeah if, you know to to understand like what my pace is even um I guess what's weird for me is, and I don't know, again, how the rest of you feel, but I've been doing this for quite a while. And yet every time I have to write something and I have a deadline, the very first large thought in my head is, what if I can't do it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. hundred billion percent. It's never, right? It just never gets like, yeah, I got this. Like, it never... It always nope. feels like maybe this is this is when I'm going to really fail and disappoint everyone and just yep. not be able to do it, you know,
0: every time. And I tell emerging writers because a lot of emerging writers, that's why they quit because they have those thoughts. Oh. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's step one. Like everybody yeah. does it. Yeah. And then you move on to step two. It, the only difference is we moved on to step two. <laughs> that's
2: we, we, we tried. We yeah. wrote it badly. Whatever we did. I think you're right. I think a lot of people might feel when they have those feelings and thoughts, this must mean I'm not a writer, you know, because real writers wouldn't feel this way. Real writers wouldn't feel this shitty. (laughs) Where are those real writers? I want to interview them. There are two. Joyce Carol Oates, Margaret Atwood, (laughs) Michael (laughs) Shabbat. I feel like, I I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm guessing maybe they also struggled, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I I think uh, I, I think there's a certain like pie chart, and it's amazing to me that there's the, the pie chart and there's like you know a small sliver of it is confidence and the vast majority of it is fear. And I I'm I'm like continually surprised that the pie chart does not change.
3: <laughs>
2: oh. Even but don't you, you think know? that's because that is the artistic
0: brain? Like it is an open, sensitive, searching, curious brain. It's and i would assume domi even for you know you're an artist you're an incredible artist um and you tell a lot of your storytelling uh yes through words and writing but also through your art um do you find even um is there a when you are drawing do you do those thoughts intrude or is it kind of can it be a kind of a sacred space of play and fun
3: oh no i mean i like having um a deadline or just like a milestone or, or like something to be working towards like a date to be working towards. But then within that I want, and I don't usually get a complete and total autonomy and freedom to, to <laughs> get there. I'm like, I, okay, you want it by this date. Just, just don't bother me until then. And, uh, or if, if you do bother me and if you do look at this stuff that I'm doing, don't freak out. Uh, and right. just let me figure it out and like doodle it out and, and be rough and messy. And, um, and then, and, and, and I will get to that date, but then also like have expectations too. Like if you're going to be giving me a super tight deadline, like I, I feel like with, with more, um, experience, like you kind of know your own pace, like Julia said, and you know, like what you can achieve or or, or or can't achieve like depending on the amount of time that you get so i feel like you know i feel like julia i feel like you 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 should feel empowered to like push a little bit uh, against those those deadlines because you you got clout now girl
2: oh so do you you can be like leave me alone i want autonomy and they'd
3: be like yes yes of course
2: um well, but it, it does sort of point to a, this inverse relation, right? Between speed and quality. And I think that's mm-hmm. always hard to know because just because one project you were able to write at a certain pace doesn't mean the next one will mm. go at that pace. So, um, the other thing or I even also. even at different
0: times, yeah. different times, like the project yeah. was going speedily and then you hit yeah. a bump or you realized mm-hmm. you were going in the wrong direction. And now you have to, now it's going slow.
2: Like suddenly you're like yeah. in the dark. Or you're, and you're a different person. You're in a different place. Um, you might take you longer to figure something out. Um and so I yeah, I, I think that's something I really am not sure of
3: yet, even yeah. like um it helps to but- have a partner though. Like I feel yeah. like I don't think we, we would have worked as fast if the both of us were like weren't doing it together. Yeah. And like we could motivate each other or like help each other, like push um ourselves up the
0: and you have to be oh. willing to put out really you know, rough stuff, like you said to me, uh, even in the writing, like sometimes it's just like, oh, please read this and don't. I, I, this is so rough. It's dripping yeah. wet. My first thought. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Totally. So when I mean, you were working on turning red, what was the process of co writing the movie? Domi, I know you're a brilliant artist. Uh, Julia it sounds like you've worked a lot of st- on a lot of stuff by yourself like were you drawing were you talking on the phone were you sending scripts back and forth or email like what was the process of creating the story of the movie
3: Julia was like the story glue <laughs> she was like the foundation <laughs> she was like working on like yeah laying the groundwork and like sh- she would do like every like first pass of the script and then we would kind of trade the script back and forth like show the initial pass send it to me and then I'll have like and then I'll like in in final draft I'll be like putting like little flags or like I- ideas notes or like punch up or like what if she just started twerking right here lol <laughs> and, and then like sometimes the like uh notes section of our final draft docs would just be like back and forth like messages like conversations between the two of us about like certain ideas and yeah sections yeah. script.
2: no I felt like um there was so much trust uh that do put in me that was amazing and then I always really look forward to sending my scripts off to Domi because she's so good with story and the voices and just so much uh so much plusing would happen you know after that and uh in a weird way I think we had actually been working in person for enough time that we were really comfortable with each other um but then when the pandemic happened I felt like we started then to being able to share screens and working mm-hmm. and looking at the screen together. And that was also kind of a, a next level, I think, in the way we were able to work really fluidly together. And then because the process takes so many years, I felt like finally, by the end, we had arrived at some kind of shorthand with each other. Like, I, I feel like I had more of a sense of like what Domi would like, or what, what would, um, I, f- I felt like as the process went on, Domi, I don't know if you felt this way as well, but it felt like the the scenes needed less working over. Like yeah. we, we got there f- faster, faster, sooner, you know? Yeah. Um, and which was great because we also had less time as it went yeah. on. So by yeah. necessity, uh, we would write and things would more quickly move, you know, into the next phase, into production or storyboarding or whatever, whoever was waiting for it. Because there was always someone waiting for a script.
3: Yeah. Like I remember like when it was super crunchy, um in the last like year or so of production, like the two of us would just, yeah, we'd be on Zoom and we would share a screen and we would like, we pull up each section of the script, each sequence and like one by one kind of go through it together. And we'd be like, like Julia would be live typing and I'd be like, well, how about this instead? And we'll just be like kind of mind melding on the script. And then like, because we didn't have enough time to like send back and forth emails, we yeah, were, right. We right. literally Let's just look at it together. Yeah, we to lost it here. Yeah, yeah, we
2: lost the time to even send it. We would just have to look at it together each time and um, in real time talk it through. Um, and you know, I will also say that Domi, I, you probably I don't know if you even know this, but I feel like you're one of the quickest minds I've worked with. Like in the the amount you can just like flip through and and make a decision or understand what the scene needs. It was. Remarkable. So I, I just felt like early on, I knew I was working with someone special and that what we were doing was special.
3: Aww, um, I was trying to keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so ironic. When it, I'm like running to keep up with you. You're running to keep up with and then, me.
0: Like, and you're, you're going faster and faster like, and faster and faster. We're like, just like,
2: oh, oh. talking together and then we collapse at the end.
4: <laughs> yes. Hey, TSL fam, producer Jeff here. And I'd love to chat with you a bit about KiwiCo. They create super cool, hands-on projects designed to create a lifelong love of learning by delivering monthly crates packed with fun topics and activities for kids. Lorian and her daughter actually love KiwiCo, so let's throw to her.
1: My daughter got it during the pandemic. The box comes in the mail and it's like all a mystery and you open it up, it's always very exciting. They take a while to do, and so that meant like an hour, two hours, of not, screen time. She wanted more independence, so these were a great thing for her to just go away and do them. So she would take a box and go away and like come back with it, full journal she'll just be like i'm gonna go do a kiwi co and she goes up into her room and does them so they're really fun
4: redefine learning with play explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence and problem solving skills with kiwi co now you can get 50 percent off your first month plus free shipping on any crate at kiwicocom slash screen that's 50 percent off your first month at k-i-w-i-c-o dot slash screen
0: you guys have mentioned in other interviews that the end um did you tried multiple things um can you talk about that just from a craft writing or even any storytelling I don't know if you were drawing or whatever you were doing whatever the storytelling process was to find that ending
3: oh yeah the ending like act three and the whole like how Ming and May kind of come together yeah Yeah, I mean for me it was challenging I think just because personally I never really found that closure with my own mom (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I was like, what's that like? Do they hug and just say, I love you no matter what? And <laughs> I don't know, is that it? Uh, so I, I I, don't know, I, I, I felt like that was probably like what was mentally kind of yeah. me a bit. Uh, and that's why I think that was the part of the movie that changed. I mean, there was always a giant kaiju mother daughter battle for mm-hmm. the city that was always going to be in the movie. But like, like what they say to each other and how it resolves was, was we tried wildly different things. There was a, there was a slap, like a, like a, like a butt slap, like a, like a, 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 spanking. Like a spanking, a spanking, sorry. Yes. I was like butt slap, a spanking
1: scene.
2: Yeah. You guys uh, are so
1: nice in Canada. You don't have that word. We, spanking. I know it blanks. Those butt my, slapping. Canadian,
2: uh, well, brain. we had a lot of things. We had a, uh, what was that? Uh, like wrestling move. It was a pile drive. We had oh, so yeah, many. we had a
3: pile drive. Yeah. we forgot about that. And yeah, we should have context. Was suplex.
2: So, was suplex. so there's a version where May suplexed her mom. There was a version where a panda, being spanked May in front of Toronto. Like, how dare you put yeah. her over one knee, spanked her. um So we had a lot of like physical ways in which we were trying to approach this epic mother daughter battle. And they were doing basically the things that. Well, you would never do in real life. Like who's going to pile drive their mother? You know what I mean? I totally forgot about
3: it, that. But, um, <laughs> yeah,
2: But uh, okay, but yes, except for Lauren, so then, um But I think that in the end, it was intimidating because we knew it had to be utterly simple, right? It mm. had to be um, some new way of saying, I love you, which is so hard, right? Because it's the most common thing to say in a way. Um, I think for us, you know, Domi and I were, of drawing from our relationships and not just from our own relationships with our mothers but so many i think asian american asian canadian kids where you don't really say i love you a lot um or if you do it means something it has other resonances so i think for us we were trying to get to some kind of truth and um it was really scary i didn't know if we would get it you know um And I think it only got there through iterations. Like we did many iterations of the end and we did many iterations of their conversation and we overwrote their conversation. And um, I just spent a lot of time, I felt like typing and crying. (laughs) like Because what Domi was saying is like true. Like we, neither of us have had that kind of conversation with our moms yet in a way. So we were trying to imagine something that we would hope for, but it wasn't like we could just draw from memory. We had to draw from a future that hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. So um, we had to channel something. And I think- You had to mother yourself. Yeah, I think that is it. I think you're right, Meg. It was a little bit like what I as a mom would want to say, what I as a daughter would want to say and hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, just mining that over and over and over again. And then I think Domi and I just sort of kept listening to each other and kept talking it through and reading out loud. We did a lot of reading out loud. Mm-hmm. every time you looked at the scenes
3: yeah um, I feel like it was mostly Julia though I feel like she was like furiously writing different passes of that that conversation between May and meeting at the portal um and I think finally she like came back and like landed on something and it was this one particular line that I was like Ugh, where it was like like the 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 further you go the prouder I'll be and I was like that's it that's like I remember when she said that in the room, I was like, "Oh, like I, I felt like." Goosebumps. Oh, I can feel it right now. Yeah, yeah me too. Like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's that's the embodiment of the yeah of just being a mom, being an immigrant mom, um, and like if you do your job right, you're gonna you know your kid is gonna move further and further away from you, which is so sad, um, but beautiful. Uh, yeah, that was. I think yeah that was the moment, yeah. but, but it but it 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 took a while to to get there, you know,
1: so I do I also do a lot of writing and crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I eat chips though while I do it. so <laughs> Julia, what were you indulging in during that writing and crying?
2: um well, I think, um, for me, writing is bodily, like I can't mm-hmm. um. I think that's why there's certain things I can write and things I can't write because it it also has to be, what am I willing to feel? What am I willing, Mm. able to hold? Um, And so I think all the emotions were in me. And I think that's where all the crying came out of. But I also think it was that when I really think about it, Domi and I had talked for so long and had gotten to know, know each other really well you know, and um, I think we both had moms who were so proud of us, um, but the more we accomplished, the less we had in common with them, you know, and um, I would even extend that to so many writers. I mean, I know there's some writers who are like children of writers, which I think would be amazing, but I would say the vast majority of people who are creative are maybe the first in their family to be creative, you know, and so what you don't realize is that by getting on this path that's so unusual if you're from people who aren't on that path the further you go down on that path the less you have in common with them you know and then there's an enormous amount of pride I think you know but you lose this kind of shared experience you know so I think That was probably a little bit in there, too. Um, Mm -hmm. This recognition also that, you know, you you can't hold on, you know, to who you were. And then, you know, looking sort of as a parent to your kids, you can't hold on to where they're going either. So I think um, somehow all of that, I think, ended up squeezed into a little ball and, like, put into that scene, you know. So profound. So profound. Yeah.
1: Well, I saw the movie with my daughter. This isn't really a question. This is a compliment to both of you. Um, I have a very complicated relationship with my mother. So mothering is an adventure for me, trying to unwind a lot of the things that I learned. Um, and my daughter, right before we saw it, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And so mm-hmm. that just added another another level of my over-mothering and my under-mothering, like all, all of that stuff. And um, and then in the movie, Maitreyi,
3: the voice of Priya has type one. Oh,
1: she does. Oh, yeah. my daughter will love to hear that. Yeah. So <laughs> she and I and her diabesti went to see the movie mm. and them watching the kids in the movie with the blood sugar monitors on their arms was so exciting because of the representation in it. Like I'd never heard of type one before she was diagnosed. So it's such a small thing, but it's so specific to such a small group of people. And it was so appreciated. I mean, they reenact four town numbers all the time now, like for them, this movie has such meaning. And I was so lucky to get to see it with her um, mm. and sort of experience it, my own mother daughter relationship. But I just wanted <laughs> to thank you oh. um, because it, it really meant a lot to both of them. and of course, the puberty conversations, you know, my daughter's eleven, her friend's fourteen, like it wow. it was just such a really powerful personal movie for me. so thank you
0: Aww. yeah let's let's talk about the puberty, the female puberty diving into that as a as a, as part of your story is such a big part of your story. Um can you talk a little bit about that process?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, from the beginning, I always pitched it as this Chinese Canadian girl kind of going through magical puberty uh, and transforming His puberty. is so
1: magical. <laughs> Let's just put that out there. It's so exactly. magical and cute and fuzzy. It's so cute and cuddly. And <laughs> yes. We all feel so validated and seen when we're going through it. No shame. It's all lovely.
3: Yeah. But don't you want to embrace your, your, your puberty or your period, and be like,
1: it's okay. <laughs> yes, because you exactly.
0: showed girls that it's their power. Yeah. That, that it is yeah. their power. That this yeah. thing that for thousands of years we've been told is what's wrong with us is actually our power. I
3: love it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really just, yeah. Because I feel like I've seen so many movies where like they deal with male puberty or like, you know, teen wolf or like men or males. Dealing with their emotions, like the Hulk, and I really wanted to like make a movie, um, kind of showcasing and celebrating, yeah, female emotion uh, and and pu- and puberty and horniness. <laughs> um, and and I, I was wondering if I could do that at Pixar somehow. Uh, and. Um, yeah, and and it's funny because like I did pitch it like a, a girl goes through magical puberty, but um the initial version was there was it was like a little like way more plotty. It was more of a a family feud. There were like other uh relatives, there there was a male cousin who also transformed into a red panda. But I think working with Julia, you know, like she really kind of um uh helped us strip down the story into like and really focus it on this mother and daughter and their relationship and how the red panda fun- fundamentally changes the the both of them and then all of the other side characters and B stories kind of fell away there was a Chinese mafia <laughs> there was a class president through line yeah all of that <laughs> fell away because Julia was like what What does this have to do with, with a mother daughter story Um
2: well, I also still sort of remember the studio being like that. They were also very good. You know, the notes we were getting were always about distilling and focusing, because um, in some ways it's like uh, a very simple story. You know, um, and a lot of the Pixar movies, I think, um, you quickly learn that if your main character is not, it's not directly involved in. it, It's almost like you're not. Why is it even in the movie? Um, but the puppy part of it was great because we always had that as the foundational metaphor. But then. It was fun to build on that, you know, and sort of look at it as also just metaphors for being, you know, messy and out of control or just, you know, exuberant or too emotional. I mean, I remember as a kid, I was always told I was too emotional Um, and just, you know, how we often grow up with having these parts of ourselves that we want to uh, suppress because they are weird and, you know, crazy. And then you grow up and you realize that that's actually the best part of you, you know, (laughs) so you know, I think, uh, that was great to, to not just have that metaphor of puberty, but then to also like expand it and have it be about so much more.
3: Yeah. I think we like, at some point we committed to the red panda being a metaphor for puberty and that but, like changed like the shape of the movie in a big way. Cause in the very first version of the story, uh, yes, the, the, the red panda arrives at night. It, it's like, you know, you wake up and you're like completely different, but her mom, um, May's mother initially accepted the panda and thought of it as a great blessing from the ancestors. And it was more about like uh, Ming wanting uh, to control how May used her panda. Um, and she wanted her to use it to promote the family temple. Um, and, and she kind of pimped out her daughter yeah. <laughs> in yeah, some way. That's right. Uh, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but then when we thought about it, you know, it felt more true to Ming's character arc that, like, she would initially reject change and reject the panda, and then she would grow to accept it at the end uh, and accept that her daughter was a panda. Um, Yeah, and that was the biggest change, I think, in the beginning.
1: I love the moment in the movie where the mom rushes into the bathroom with the box. Like, she's ready. It was such a um, non-shame moment, mm-hmm. right? Like... She hadn't seen the panda yet. It was a whole different thing, but it was like just, "I'm ready. I got it. Here you go." Like, I, I you know, it's like that wish fulfillment kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like, I wish I had that. I wish everyone could have that, like a supportive mom around that sort of very complicated time. So, thank you.
0: My mother literally was like, "Here's the stuff," and then she, she I later she looked, walked up to me and she went congratulations, you're a woman. And I was like, oh, my God, kill me now. Just kill me now.
2: Yeah, no, I think that that was a really fun scene to write because, like, we could write all these things, like cats with wings and all these, like, things that are true to experience. And I believe it was also then fun for the women on the crew to then animate and to also, because it's like, finally we get to you know, turn a little light on this corner (laughs) of universal human experience that
3: no one ever Mm -hmm. pays attention to. But it's like so common, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So
0: we also want to make sure to ask you guys individual questions because we have so many for you. And we did ask um, our listeners too, and got some really good questions. So um, Domi, let's start with you and Bao, because we're all huge fans of Bao as well. Just agog over it. So um, one of our listeners um, was curious about the process of including collaborators on in a project that feels so personal. Now of course, so is your film, very personal, but um, Bao being your first step into the director's chair, um, what was that what was that kind of like?
3: Yeah, Bao kind of just came very organically kind of as a as a little side project I was doing just to like relieve stress from my, you know, day job as a story artist. Um, uh, And I just wanted uh, to kind of continue pushing myself to be creative, to, you know, write stories and draw for myself um, and, and continue enjoying that. So this idea came to me of like, oh, like what if I told my own little like fairy tale, like a take on the little gingerbread man but um, you know, from like my own culturally specific lens. Uh and I always thought it was so funny that every time I went home, like uh and I would see my mom, she'd always be like, Oh, don't we, I wish I could put you back in my stomach. So I knew where you were at all times. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's so sweet but creepy. And uh I, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it, sound, it seems so funny and so related to a lot of these yeah, these, like, folk tales and fairy tales in, like, different countries about, like, you know, elderly couples who find babies in, like, in food, or they, they their food turns into babies, and, but I've never seen them eat them. Like, I feel like that's such a wasted, you know, opportunity to tell, like, a story about uh, about that. Uh, so, I started working on Bao, like, on the side, um, and I actually, like, boarded this, like, initial version of Bao just um and it was like way more adult. I was never gonna pitch it to Pixar or Disney, but it was just something that I um that was my own, which I like, you know, like it 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 was like that little light that kept me going when things were really tough during my day job. And um it was also like a way for me to like meet and collaborate and hang out with other artists at the studio too who were also maybe feeling a little bit like tired and disillusioned by their day jobs. I had something to show them. I was like, I'm working on this thing and I would show them these storyboards. And the first person I showed them to was Rona Liu, um, who eventually became my production designer for Bao. And then now she's, she was, she she became my production designer for turning red as well. But I remember like, she was like, Oh, I would love to like take one of your storyboards and like, do a painting over it or do some color studies. And I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. And then we also like planned like little research trips to Chinatown together where we would like go to like dim sum restaurants and take pictures of the food and all the old people there. Um, Yeah. I feel like, you know, like, like once you have something like, like an idea, like just put it to paper, uh, uh, like images an outline or something, and then just start sharing it with people. And I think the more people I shared it with, the more it kind of like held me accountable to actually do it. Um, and then, like, yeah, eventually, one of the people I, I showed the you know the, the this idea to as I was continuing to flesh it out was was Pete Doctor, um, and 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 he kind of encouraged me to pitch it to the studio at at some point too. But um, I wouldn't have. Like worked up the nerve to pitch it to him, un- unless I was like already sharing and working on it on my own. Um, yeah, so that's kind of I how. I love that. How. I love that. Such great advice,
1: mm-hmm.
3: Julia. I am so interested
1: in your journey. Like you've been, you've been writing plays, TV feature writing, like animation. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, what it's been like to move through those different mediums? And And what sort of the exciting parts are, and what the challenges are.
2: Well, I always get excited when I'm doing something new for the first time. Uh, it's terrifying, but I just kind of love being thrown into something that I have no idea how to do <laughs> maybe it's because also the expectations are really low you know so when I moved from playwriting totally into writing I was like I might <laughs> totally mess this up but why would I know what I'm doing it'll be fine you know and I think that I kind of thrive in low expectation environments so um so I feel like that like learning and just like just like feeling like okay I have no tools for this I'm going to learn some tools great you know I, I always enjoy that. And I think um that might be something Domi and I share because I feel like Domi also has that like loves to learn new things and try things that she's never done before. Um and then I think similarly going to feature animation, I you know, my, Pixar was my first feature job. Definitely anything. I'd never done anything like it. Uh never done animation. So I think when I just showed up, I was like, this is great. I have no idea what I'm doing. All these incredibly brilliant genius people are going to teach me. And then when I showed up, I realized like, oh, no one is here to teach me. (laughs) Like, like, like they're happy to help, but there's like no one there who's like, oh, you're here. Let me hold your hand. And like, let's go together and I'll show you how to do everything here. Like there was none of that, you know, (laughs) it was just like, you're here, you're a professional, you should know what you're doing. And, um, and that was great. I mean, cause it, it kicked my ass for sure. Um, but I, I do think like that is just something that even now I, you know, I'm still continuing to work at Pixar, but I'm still like, I want to try things I haven't tried before or, or do something. Like I, I think, um, it's, it's always just like searching for something that I don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, eventually I should probably like, you know, go back to something I do know how to do. Um, But, you know, whether it's working with someone new or just working on a completely different idea, there's just something about that, that always makes me feel like an eternal beginner. And I like feeling that way.
4: There's something interesting about that to me, Julia, and it connects to what you were talking about at the beginning with sometimes the pressure and challenges of deadlines and it's very interesting because we have a lot of emerging writers who I think are yearning to get that big producer assignment because they'll feel like real writers. But we talk to our pro writers who yearned for that time when they were emerging writers wow. and had this total landscape of freedom to just play. And that feels like a constant negotiation as a writer, especially the more you work. Is that something you feel like you're dealing with or negotiating in your own career? And Domi, I'd be curious to hear you talk about that, too.
2: I'll I'll just say one thing about that, which I so feel what you're saying, you know, which is that emerging writers want to get hired, you know, people who have a lot of work want to go back to when they could just do what they wanted. I think the commonality is all we really want is to write and feel like someone out there is waiting for what we are writing. You know, because I, I think that's what emerging writers need, right? Like, oh, there's some producer waiting for it. There's someone. There's someone at the end of this process who is going to read what I'm writing. So what I'm writing right now actually matters. Um, and I think we all need that, whatever stage we're at. It's just that I think once you are working for a while and you realize, like, oh, the producer isn't the person waiting for me to write what I'm writing. It's actually maybe like my future self <laughs> who is waiting for me to write when I am writing and I think when you can kind of shift into that you don't need a literal producer to feel like what you're doing is real um but we are all I think we all need that I think to feel like somebody cares to to read what we are doing
3: yeah yeah I think it's like we we write or we create because we want to form a connection with a producer, with an audience member, or like with yeah, our with other other artists, other artists uh, our past and future selves, a family member. I think we're we're writing to try to connect with 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 people, um, and that's yeah, I think that's the commonality, and, and that's what you should always be be aiming for, right? Yeah,
2: because no one can write in a vacuum. I think yeah. you know it feels nihilistic or something like you're just
3: what is this for you know so then it's just a diary entry and then, yeah that? I, it, that's still like to yourself so that's still you're still trying to connect to something or someone but yeah it's 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 not in a vacuum I think you're right yeah
0: Lauren do you want to ask your didn't your daughter and her friend have yes
1: so I asked my daughter if she had a question for you both and her question is, Uh, Let me find it. Hold on. Mm -hmm. How much did you like working
3: on turning red? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a tough question. Um, No, it was, it was amazing. It was such a incredible, difficult and funny, entertaining, fulfilling, um, just experience. Uh, And I just felt so lucky that I was able to work on this kind of a story with this amazing um crew and and with this amazing female leadership team uh yeah it was cool it was like making a movie w- with your friends um and that's and that's kind of and that's kind of like my goal from na- from now on is to kind of recapture that same feeling um because you can see it in the movie like you can see how much fun we had making it um
2: Yeah. I mean, I will, I will also say it was probably the hardest job I've ever had, Um, Mm -hmm. just in terms of, yeah, I mean, it was challenging, like Domi said, but also just, it felt like sometimes the job, the making of the movie felt like it took everything you had and then still wanted more, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And I think um, there were long stretches where I I felt, it, it just felt like failing, you know, but only because you were trying to do something so hard, um, so I, 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 it's hard to explain how amazing it was, and yet it wasn't like it kicked your ass. It yeah, it, your ass. <laughs> it totally kicked my ass. Um, and yet I look back and I just think, yeah, like how lucky I got to experience that. And you know, one of the experiences I had which I think is, is is maybe a good way to think of any experience. It's not just like how much fun did I have, you know, during the experience itself, but who was I before the experience and who am I after? And this experience changed me. I mean, changed me. So I think, you know, that's another measure of what an incredible experience it was because I'm not the same person I was when we started. Um, so you know, I don't know what experiences are waiting for your daughter and her friends, but you know, I'm sure that they will find that to be true too. That they'll go into something and they'll come out, you know, a different person. Yeah,
1: well, she is a writer and wants to be a director, so I w- and a paleontologist. But I will <laughs> right. um, make sure to share this with her and her friend, her diabesti Georgiana. Wanted to know, was it harder to make a movie based around teenagers rather than little kids, which has you know quite a few Pixar
3: movies are around little kids yeah I mean um yeah I mean my mm. teenagehood was complicated right like you have so many more emotions more ups more downs um contradicting emotions as well like you hate your mom but you like love her and you and you want her um yeah her approval and adoration and love but you also want to be free and um that's what drew me to this idea because it's so because that that time of our lives is so tumultuous and messy um and uh you know I was just thinking about myself at that age and and uh, wanting to make a a film for her just to show her that like yeah it's messy but it's messy for everybody and it's it's okay and it'll it'll pass <laughs> yeah
2: hopefully. and i think it was actually more fun to do a teenagery story than a kid's story just because it's so much more embarrassing (laughs) you know (laughs) there's so much more like untrammeled snow i felt like with that you know um one of the domi's drawings which i just loved so much i remember walking the story room and it was like do you remember that drawing of may praying and she's praying in an altar clasping incense and she's like please i just want to fill up my cups just let me be a b cup or something like that (laughs) this is a movie (laughs) The Pixar movie, <laughs> I want to work on. You know I mean? <laughs> so great. I love yes. that. It's funny. So funny. And you never see that in a movie for, you know, quote unquote kids. And so um, that was just delightful. I think throughout the, just the gift totally. that kept on giving.
0: I'm going to take away today. Untrampled snow. That is such yeah. a beautiful, beautiful image. God that I'm going to hold now. (laughs) Well, we always ask the the same three questions at the end of our show. And unfortunately, I could listen to you guys talk all day, but I do have to let you get back to work. So um, the first question we ask, we'd love to hear from both of you, is um, what brings you the most joy when it comes to your work? That could be writing, but Domi, you're an artist as well. So what brings you the most joy in your creative life?
3: I think like when I show a drawing or pitch an idea to uh, someone and I get like like a really big reaction out of them. I, I really love making people laugh or like kind of like uh, surprised or shocked. Um, I really get a kick out of that. So just constantly being able to surprise people is like really fun for me. Um, it's kind of like this drug and this high that I love to chase with with my work. So, yeah.
2: I think, I think for me, there's a moment after I've written something, it doesn't happen with everything, but every now and then um, there'll be something that I get, I get down. And after I write it, there is a feeling of satisfaction that feels like joy. And it feels like the little hamster in the wheel just stops (laughs) and just rests (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. it's like the little hamster's like, good job. <laughs> and <laughs> Aww, I, I have this moment good of, job, I hamster. I just have a moment of peace. Mm-hmm. And then the wheel starts up again. And, you know, and then I have to chase that, uh, not even a high, but chase that moment. But that feeling of satisfaction is, is almost like bliss.
1: So uh, what pisses you off
3: about your work? <laughs> so many. things pisses uh, uh, yeah. us off. Like, hmm. Like- I get well. I get very
2: despondent or angry at myself if I feel like I'm not being a good steward of it. Mm. Like, if I feel like I'm not taking care of it, because mm. I feel like I've been entrusted with something, you know. And um, that and I, and I also think conversely that part of me uh, gets very angry at the rest of me, <laughs> it's like, you know, like, stop it, stop, stop doing this to me. You know, I just want to cavort in a field and you're making me pull a plow. Why are you doing this to me? You know, uh, that, that, that's a nice little struggle inside.
3: <laughs> uh, notes. <laughs> notes? <laughs>
0: Love it. So honest. Jk. So- JK. Go.
3: Mm-hmm. No, I mean, sometimes it's like the timing, like a badly timed note, will always like throw me and i'd be like but why are we talking about this right now <laughs> like like let's 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 talk about that yeah. later Shh, quiet you know like it it just throws me and i get really annoyed <laughs> at like a badly timed note uh yeah yeah <laughs>
1: absolutely absolutely as someone who used to have to come in and deliver notes to you you have always been very gracious. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you
2: you had to watch her foot. Her foot will go up and down really quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, oh, right now. She'll be like very like, calm like, mm-hmm. and then like, this little foot.
1: <laughs> Everybody knew yeah. I had a certain I had a certain knock right come in and be like, hi. So we're gonna do a yeah. drive-by with the director before you're ready. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you were really good at yeah, the being the messenger. <laughs>
4: The biggest gift that Lauren and Meg have given to me on this show is like the validation that every writer feels that way, you know, even though notes are a part of the process, it feels like an attack when you first get them because yeah, you've bled (laughs) on the page, you've given everything and the language that they've given to us and I'll do the Pixar version but it's screw you is the first feeling you feel toward the person giving the note, and then it's screw me because you know they're right and you feel like a failure. And then yeah. once you move through those two feelings, it's what's next because you've got to move on. So yeah. that's the yeah. gift that Megan Lauren gave to me in the very first episode yeah. of this show.
2: Screw you. Yeah. Screw, me. <laughs> you screw me. Screw
3: you.
4: Me. Screw you me. Don't oh, yeah. <laughs> Just what's don't get stuck. Just don't get
2: stuck in the first two. That's Yeah, really, you got to really move through tough.
3: them. Yeah. It's like the that's stages good. of grief.
4: I'll use um, them. Thank you. And then the, the final question we always ask um, is, of all your work, you know, it could be for you, Julia, plays, TV. It could be Turning Red, and then Domi, obviously, with bow and turning red, we'd love to know what's the scene at this point in your career that you'd want to be most remembered for?
3: Yeah, I guess I mean the the one thing that pops into my mind is um our big act three climactic battle where May defiantly twerks in front <laughs> of her mom and wards her her giant monster mother away with with her gyrations. Uh, and we're playing it with like all of the seriousness and epicness of like a Marvel battle scene. <laughs> um, so yes, I'm. I'm most proud of that scene. I think it worked yeah, amazingly. Like, like it was like an idea in my head. I remember pitching it to people and people being unsure about it for a very long time, and then it all kind of came together. And that I feel like that's so quintessentially me. Um, it's weird. It's. Uh, Yeah, it's like full of conflict, drama, um, absurdity, uh, humor. um, And that shock you
0: were talking about, right? It's shocking. It's very shocking. Yeah, Yeah, it's so good.
2: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess I'm pretty sure if anyone remembers me, uh, it'll be for something from one of my plays. Um, There are certain speeches um, that I feel like, Would be the ones that people remember me if they do um mostly speeches where someone is talking about understanding something for the first time whether it's death or food or a memory you know and i think that's probably the closest i have to what my voice is like in its purest form um so maybe something in there would get remembered Awesome.
0: amazing! Thank you guys so much. I know we've got to let you go back to work. Thank you so, so, so much for being on the show.
2: Gosh, thank you guys so much. What an amazing conversation. And thank you. Wow, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. Us. It was
3: great. Thank you guys.
1: Thank you so much to Domi and Julia for joining us on today's show. Turning Red is currently streaming on Disney Plus. So check it out. Check it out. And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group where the conversations about craft and process and community continues. Thanks to Jeff and Savannah for producing. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing.